Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back as one of our special guests, Mr. Jim Chris. Jim, welcome back to the program. Thank you. I have known Jim now for almost four years. And listeners, when I retired, I was looking for some opportunities to continue to keep involved in local American history. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get onto the uh, board at the Paoli Battlefield. And Jim is the president. And Jim, would you share with our listeners all the things that you are involved in? I don't know how you sleep with all the things you're involved in. <laughs> sure. Well, I'm, I'm uh, president of the Paoli Battlefield. I'm also vice president of the American Red War Roundtable of Philadelphia, as well as uh, vice president of the Brandywine Valley Civil War Roundtable. I'm also treasurer for a reenactment group called Historic Military Impressions. And I'm also a board member of the Sanderson Museum in Chats Ford. And that's all in addition to working full time. <laughs> and you sleep when? <laughs> at night, <laughs> if I get a chance. <laughs> and what is your educational background for our listeners? Well, I went to college. I graduated with an associate's degree in business administration, and basically, I become a, a ravenous reader of especially revolutionary history and also some Civil War history, as well as participated in a lot of roundtables and panel discussions. So. That's sort of my educational background in a nutshell. I've been on the board of the Paoli Battlefield since uh, 2012 and a lot of other groups. I started around 2012. Uh, the later one was the Sanderson Museum. I started there in about 2017. Wow. And again, I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how you have time to sleep, but you must because <laughs> all the things. <laughs> Share with our listeners, because I know it's probably been two years since you've been on the program. A little bit of the background of the Battle of Paoli, because, you know, we're right now, we're just in December winding up the Philadelphia campaign. So share with our listeners, please, some of the background on the Paoli battlefield and why you and I both understand why it is so important for the American Revolution. Well, it's the ninth bloodiest battle of the American Revolution. And that's uh, a quote from the Journal of the American Revolution. They had some Doctor, go back and look at killed, missing, and wounded, and ranking out the battles. And we actually fell number nine. We were one short of going to number eight, but you know, hey, <laughs> top ten, you know, which is very surprising. A lot of people think 53 are dead in the battlefield, but this battle was over a lot of miles between two different camps. You had church burials. You had neighbors where the wounded were taken that somehow had to get buried if they died. We had one guy with 46 distinct bayonet wounds who was taken out near Partsburg, and believe it or not, he recovered. I mean, he walked away from that hospital to another hospital, and he was able to walk. So a lot of things. No one really heard of a nighttime bayonet attack. That was something that was uh, pretty unusual. I don't know if it was ever used in the, in the Revolutionary War before, but this was something that also kind of sticks out like a sore thumb by it. This is one of the battles, one of the only battles, really, that Anthony Wayne fought in that the battleground is not a national historic landmark. So unfortunately, we do hold that distinction. But this battle happened. It was in the Philadelphia campaign, as you said. It started in August of 1777. You had the Battle of Cooch's Bridge, the Battle of Brandywine, the Battle of the Clouds, which is sort of a rained out battle. And then you come to our battle, the Battle of Paoli. And this battle, Wayne camped 
in Malvern, even though it's called the Paley Battlefield, it's in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And the reason it's in Malvern is because it was named after the closest tavern, because it was really just woods around Willistown Township that the battle was at. There wasn't a landmark to point it out. So they decided to, the midway point between the British camp in Tadifferin and the American camp in Malvern was the Paoli Tavern, which was originally stood, stands, or originally stood by the train station directly across the street in the shops at the Paoli, right by the Paoli train station. You'll find that. Uh, we actually put a historical marker there, actually uh, with the Paoli Business Professional Association uh, put the... Uh, sign there but we helped contribute money and get some of the reenactors help out and that was uh bart really bart van valkenberg that really helped get that get that done for us and uh, a great help and helping local historians but the battle itself it was a nighttime bayonet raid the america the uh, a messenger that was coming back from general washington and was supposed to deliver a message to wayne he either wandered into the wrong camp or he deserted we don't know which one but as a result, Washington's message reached Howe, and Howe knew, okay, Washington is going to go north. He's going to cross the river at Parker's Ford, the Schuylkill River. So he's actually moving away from Wayne. Wayne is isolated behind him with a smaller force, so he's going to go attack Wayne. He sends his best light infantryman, General Charles Gray, who earns the nickname No Flint Gray from this battle because he tells the men to take the flint out of their muskets. They attack around midnight. And they carve up the the two readouts or the the two picket posts, picket post number uh, four and picket post number three. They then see Wayne's camp and charge into Wayne's camp in three waves. Uh, the light infantry, the second light infantry attacks first, followed by the 44th of foot, well, along with the dragoons. And then the last to come is the 42nd, which is the Scott, Scottish Highlanders. They yelled out, yelled out a very loud Scottish war yell, kind of like the uh, rebel yell in the Civil War, and attacked, and it, it just absolutely frightened these guys. And in the new book on Germantown, which uh, Michael uh, Harris has put out, he says that that was the, the 42nd. The reason Paley became very bloody was because the 42nd was looking for revenge for what happened to them in New York, especially uh, against Anthony Wayne's troops. They had said that uh, his troops had actually desecrated some bodies there. We we're not sure if it's true or not, but they came back and they were they were looking for blood and they definitely got their revenge on Wayne. However, the attack could have been a lot worse. He actually had a trap set up for Anthony Wayne. He was supposed to attack from the west and push his troops east. And at the Paoli Tavern waiting for them were going to be another group of second light infantrymen led by Colonel Musgrave. However, he attacked from the east to the west, and Wayne's troops would have gotten clear. However, a cannon broke down in the middle of Sugartown Road and caused a delay. And because of that delay, his troops were nearly surrounded by the British. But they did manage, Wayne did manage to get his troops extracted from that situation and, uh, and help. So that's the battle in a nutshell. The, the battle really helped play a part, obviously, in the, the next battle, the Battle of Germantown, which, again, if you read Michael Harris's book, everything's sort of going really well for the Americans. And then Colonel Musgrave's men from the 2nd Light Infantry are held up in the, the mansion, that's there, the Chew Mansion. And it's these Pennsylvania troops that point out that they're the guys who attacked Paoli, and they 
swarmed the mansion, started yelling, Revenge Wayne's Affair and Remember Paoli. And that was one of the nation's first battle cries is Remember Paoli. So we're honored to that to have that distinction as well. But that it basically that caused a lot of the firing on that mansion caused the other troops to hear firing in their back behind them. They turned around and marched away. When they got back to where the two mansion is, the British counterattacked and pushed them away and a robot Colonel Gray came and rescued his troops that were trapped in the two mansions. So a lot all these battles kind of have little interconnected parts. And it's really interesting when you find and connect the dots and find those parts in the Philadelphia campaign. And Jim, uh, General Anthony Wayne, obviously he's a local person from our area, obviously Waynesboro. Share with our listeners a little bit of General Wayne and Paoli and what the consequences of Paoli for him. Yeah, General Anthony Wayne kind of cut his teeth in Canada. He was colonel of the 4th Infantry, or the the 4th Pennsylvania Regiment. He goes to Canada, and he fights a lot of rearguard action, and he's highly mentioned for that. Him and his troops actually take over on the retreat back from Canada. They stop at Fort Ticonderoga, and he is made Brigadier General and also Commander of Fort Ticonderoga. He's there until the, not long, only for probably about two, uh, you know, for the winter and the spring, And in the summer, he's recalled he's going to fight with General George Washington in the upcoming Philadelphia campaign. So his troops moved down. Two brigades of Pennsylvanians are put under him, and he follows basically. He's with uh, George Washington for Brandywine Clouds, Paoli, Germantown. Um, You know, you can go on and on. You can go to uh, White Marsh and such to find out. Uh, Anthony Wayne fought in all those battles. And, of course, Valley Forge, he camped with them. He never once set foot in his home during the entire Revolutionary War. So his wife, Polly, was very lonely waiting for him, but uh, (laughs) she did very well. And uh, she did very well for herself and and really helped kind of bail him out at the end of the, well, just to finish off the Paoli story. He's put in charge of these troops. He sort of had a, a little bit of a, I would say, mild anger management issue. He's sort of like General Patton, I would I would kind of compare him to in World War II. And he sends his troops out there. He even writes to Washington that the enemy has no idea where they are. They they can never find me. And of course, the next night or the next night or so, he's attacked and driven from his uh, his encampment. Um, he does at the end of the Battle of Germantown. He does get a court of inquiry around October 13th, 1777. The court of inquiry convenes and it finds that General Anthony Wayne made some mistakes and his honor is uh, in jeopardy. And of course, back then in the 18th century, when your honor's besmirched, you are going to call a court martial. And that's exactly what he does. So he, uh, he basically wants a court martial to clear his name. And he goes through all the testimony, and on November 1st, 1777, the verdict comes back from the Continental Court Martial that he's acquitted with highest honor, and he did everything he could on the night of the 20th of September, 1777, at Paoli. So his honor is restored. He goes on to fight, of course, at uh, Monmouth, which is the battle after, after Valley Forge. He does take a little bit of a break to join the Pennsylvania legislature because he is a high-ranking Pennsylvanian. He does have office. He also then participates with Washington during the uh, Battle of Stony Point in 1778, 
And of course, he finishes out his career in Yorktown. He does get a, uh, a plantation out of the deal in Georgia. And he has a plantation next to his best friend, Nathaniel Green. Uh, of course, Nathaniel Green dies early. Wayne actually tries to run for, uh, he, he's, he's, he's racking up a lot of debt. And he figures out that if you are a representative in the United States Congress, they're not going to throw you in debtor's jail. So he decides to run for Congress. He's <laughs> seated. And about a year later, there's a knock on his door. And they said, excuse me, Mr. Wayne, but um, we're looking at your uh, election results. And uh, there's only probably, let's say, three th- or 5,000 people in your district. And about 15,000 people voted for you. So therefore, <laughs> um, the election was called in. He, he basically gets out of it. He goes to Washington. And Washington then puts him in charge of the, Ameri- the second American Legion which actually he does save the Midwest United States uh, from Indian attack. The first American Legion is wiped out by uh, General St. Clair. He comes in with his second Legion, and after a few years of training, he fights the Battle of Fawn Timbers and secures the Ohio Valley and the upper Michigan area uh, for the United States. It was actually the British who were egging the Indians on because they were in violation of the 1783 Treaty of Paris. They weren't allowed to uh, retake or occupy land, and that's what I thought would happen when the Indians take, took over or would try to take over the Midwest. But luckily, Anthony Wayne's there again to save the day, and uh, the British are foiled again and have to uh, stay put in Canada. But Anthony Wayne dies in, uh, around the turn of the century, I believe. He dies, and uh, he's actually buried in two places. He died a gout. He's buried his uh, son and his daughter commiserate that he's not at St. David's where he was, you know, part of that parish, uh, part of that church. So they decide after about a decade or so, you know, his body's probably decomposed and just the skeletal remains. And they basically go all the way to Erie when they dig him up. They found that he's almost perfectly preserved. They have to melt, as they say, the fat away from the bone. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so the doctor does this does this without the, without Isaac looking. He actually dumps his body into a vat, a huge vat, a copper vat, and uh, basically it's brought to a roaring boil. And uh, he proceeded with the uh, operation. He dumps the flesh, the all the materials used for it, and the uh, the water into the original grave. And Isaac is then able to take these skeletal remains back to St. David's, where that is. Second grave is now at. <laughs> so he's buried in two places. There's not many people that are able to say that about a relative. Um, Jim, I don't think anybody wants to say that about a relative. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of relatives I just wish were buried, but that's a that's a whole nother. <laughs> if someone were to visit, or when someone visits Paoli Battlefield, share with our listeners. Uh, the cannon that's there and why it only has one wheel. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we did get calls from people reporting somebody stole a wheel off our cannon yes. <laughs> out of the Paoli battlefield. And um, we're trying to get into the information out to the public that that's the way it's supposed to be. Our uh, board member, Bart Van Valkenburg actually made that cannon. It's what we call a, a Dutch cannon. It's, it's made of wood. And uh, and the wheel is actually a real wheel, but uh, the wheel itself was made by a, a wheelwright. But we decided to tell the story of the cannon, the, the, basically as the last cannon was 
making its way through the gauntlet, three fence lines all the way to Sugartown Road. It broke down in Sugartown Road. The carriage fell off the wheels. And instead of just pushing the cannon off to the side to let the troops and the wagons out, um, they spent time trying to rehitch the gun. And, you know, these are very heavy, uh, you know, cannons that you're talking about, trying to, you know, grab around the barrel, put everything in, try to get it, you know, secured. And they basically spent too much time trying to do it. And that's one of the reasons that the British got that close to the Americans where they were able to use their bayonets and and, uh, dispatch them, as they say. But uh, the wheel that is in the, or the cannon that is in the Paley battlefield does have one wheel. It's supposed to have one wheel. So um, that's the story of the cannon in the Paley battlefield. To tell the story. So, so listeners, no one stole the, the other wheel. It's yes. perfectly done. No, that no one stole the other wheel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jim, uh, Paoli Battlefield, is it a state park? It, is it a county park? And what is a little bit it, of the, it, the history of the okay, background of how it became an, uh, a park? Sure. sure. Um, the, the property was owned by Malvern uh, Prep School, which is right next door. Um, in the, uh, 1990s, they were going to sell that to raise money and a teacher there, a history teacher, uh, by the name of Thomas McGuire, um, forcefully fought against that because this was an area, an, an area where people died. It was little known battle at the time. Uh, people knew it as the battle of Paoli. There's a mass grave there with 52, um, dead in a, in a mass grave. There's a 53rd buried somewhere in the battlefield. We don't know where. But this is really a clash of almost about, you know, if, you, if you're just talking the armed men, you're probably talking about 3,500 men total uh, in that field. So it wasn't a small little skirmish where yeah. 53 yeah. people died. You had, you had, you know, well over three to 5,000 people in and around that area uh, where, where that battle happened. But we went through a uh, fundraising uh, era. The uh, Malvern Prep said, they did a uh, study of the land, found out that without any kind of building on it, the land itself was worth $2.5 million. Wow. Uh, we had to raise half of that, or we had to raise all of that in two years. We came up to about $1.5 million that we raised, and then we had to go to the United States Congress. One of our local uh, congressmen, Kurt Weldon, got involved and actually introduced a uh, what was one of them, the first Patriot Acts. And we got money along with Brandywine for uh, uh, saving land. And because of that money we got, we deposited what we had plus what the government gave us to Malvern Borough. And Malvern Borough is the property owner of the Paley Battlefield. Now, next door, there's a private park uh, that is administered by the Paley Memorial Association. And they have owned that park since the turn of the century when they were formed. Um, And they are... uh, a group that keeps uh, track of the, uh, or, or sorry, to um, take care of the monuments and the, the mass grave. And um, they, there's, a, I think there's a tennis court there. There's a gazebo, there's baseball fields and a Boy Scout cabin as well in the park. So, um, and their side of the park, our side is basically, we have informational panels. We have that cannon that you talked about, some fencing, and a uh, uh, right by the grave site, there's a sign that you can also pick up pamphlets that we have that list uh, our events and tell you a little bit more about the story. And the park itself, uh, <clears throat> what are can anybody just go and visit the park during yes. the uh, game? Yeah, and anybody can come even during the COVID thing unless Malvern Borough closes it. 
but uh, it's open from dusk to dawn. Uh, we do ask that if you're there and you're with a group of people, of course, you know, if you're grouping, make sure you wear a mask. But basically, I'd say probably about 85% of our visitors to the park are dog walkers from the local area. Um, we do have a wooded trail that people can walk through and as well, people can walk along the sides of the battlefield along the one side, we have our interpretive panels that people can read actually what happened there. So, uh, it's a very nice kind of peaceful place to go sort of in the middle of the main line. It's accessible of course, by the train station. If anybody lives outside the area and they want to get off at the Malvern stop, it's about maybe two, two or so blocks, two, three blocks away from the train station. So not that far of a walk. And um, as I said, it's open dust to dawn 24 seven or, uh, or 365 days a year. And uh, Jim, I get this question from people that when they go to visit the park, the railroad ties, you know, you, before you walk in, be, yeah. The, yeah. can you, but what, what's the significance of the railroad ties that are there? Well, Mal Malvern was basically founded as a railroad town. It was the end of the main line. And um, the Paley M Memorial Association, I think it was back in either the 50s or 60s, I don't remember, man, Kelly would probably know this more often. They put that monument there just to kind of help people understand that the, that the railroad was what really built this town. The town was founded in 1889, and it was basically the end of the main line. That was yeah. it. A couple more questions before we close out this session. Uh, the Anthony Wayne. Do you believe that mm -hmm. it was by chance or by was it Washington's planning that he puts Wayne there so close to his um to where he grew up and in his own his own property? I, I think it's Washington's plan. I I don't know if if Wayne lobbied for it or not, but he's the logical guy to put there because he knows the lay of the land. He knows where things are at. He knows the people in that area. So you'd want to put a general with that knowledge in the area. And approximately how long was the uh, the Battle of Paoli? Anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. It was a very quick-moving battle. It started at the battlefield. The British kept making gains, kept making gains. Uh, there were Americans that fired back. So it was sort of back and forth for about maybe 45 minutes or so. And then along King Street, the poor, untrained raw green Maryland militia is coming up the road. They hear about Anthony Wayne's attack, his camp being attacked. So General Smallwood turns his men around and start marching back and they get ambushed twice by the British. The first one was a, uh, it caused a lot of confusion, but they, they kind of, you know, stayed in their area. The, the last one was so violent that they, he, he said the, the men flung down their arms and haven't been seen since. Uh, the wagoneers and uh, the wagoneers cut the reins from the horsemen and took off with the horses. Uh, and the, the Chester County Sheriff, which actually in those days, Chester County, Chester and Delaware counties were, were one uh, as Chester County. The sheriffs were looking for them for months, trying to find these men from Maryland and uh, get them back to their unit because uh, over a thousand of them deserted during that campaign. Wow. And then as we're wrapping up this session, Jim, share with the listeners, please, the website where they could um, see more information about Paoli and your recommendation, personal recommendation for a couple of books for our, our listeners to be able to read. Sure. Uh, our website is really simple. It's America's First Battle Cry, RememberPaoli.org. 
So you can go to rememberpaley.org and keep up with all the latest news and uh, events that we have going on. Um, we did just open today our online store. So you can order books. You can order um, from um, Tom McGuire, The Battle of Paoli, which is probably the best researched book specifically on the battle. Um, you can get that book. Uh, you can get uh, his other books, uh, Stop the Revolution is another one that he wrote. Um, the Philadelphia Campaign, I think we only have one volume of that, uh, of the Philadelphia Campaign. We're trying to get the other one uh, going. And we also have two books by Michael Harris. We have his Brandywine book, and we also have his follow-up book, which just came out a few weeks ago, about Germantown. It's actually Clouds Paoli in Germantown. So uh, those books are all for sale on our site. So you can just go there, click it and buy it, and it'll be shipped to you. We also and have hats and shirts as well. And listeners, the hats are cool. You you would love love these hats that Paoli has that for sale. Listeners, and Michael Harris is a local person. Uh, he is a teacher at Norristown High School, and he's a, a fantastic author. And Jim, on the website... Is, you, we still have the, the interactive maps from Sean Moyer? Those maps will be good until the end of the year. Uh, they're written on Slack. If you have an Apple computer, you're kind of out of luck. If you have an Android computer, I know that Google is going to stop supporting Flash at the end of the year. And some other ones are going with it. So probably you only have about a month to enjoy the interactive maps. And then that will be it. I will be um, in. Since they're with Flash, uh, we don't have another way of resurrecting it. We've talked yeah. to Sean about it, and we talk of it would take a big grant for him to go and reprogram it all to do it. And Jim, last question for this session: uh, Do you take volunteers to help uh, with all the, that Paoli is doing to help with the education of the American Revolution? Yes, we do. Um, you can on our website, rememberpaoli.org. You can go to contact us link and you can send a message. Uh, we would like to have people sort of close to the area. Um, our big thing is to getting people out to the battlefield or in surrounding areas whenever there's an event. For instance, if Brandywine Battlefield has an event, we want to be there. If a Chad Ford Historical has an event, we want to be there. Um, actually, you know, of course, this year it was pretty much all shot down because of COVID, but we're hoping, you know, maybe by the end of the year, that will, or, or maybe three quarters or halfway through the year, that'll all be, uh, you know, hopefully things we can get back to normal uh, in this country. Uh, the last thing on our wet on our Facebook page, which is Paoli Battlefield Historical Park, and then we have another one that's called Reese Across America at Paoli Battlefield. We're going to be live streaming our Reese Across America ceremony. We do not want anyone from the public to come. Uh, you will be turned away. It's just going to be simply probably about 40 people there to have a small ceremony to lay 53 wreaths at the battlefield. And that'll be Saturday, December 19th. Again, it will be live streamed on our Facebook starting at 11 o'clock. And we do not want anybody to come to the park that day. They can stream that. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jim. We appreciate all the information and some of the background of Paoli. And listen, we're going to continue because I have a lot more questions I want to ask Jim about the different uh, things that people can get involved in Paoli. So, Jim, thank you for uh, doing all that you do with Paoli and for getting out information about the American Revolution and particularly about 
Paoli and all that you are involved in. So thank you so much for all that you do. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is WFYL 1180, Working for Your Liberty.